Hello, I'm Moses. I'm Carrie. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to the Meadowcast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with theologian, author, and former General Secretary of Mennonite Church Canada, Robert J. Suderman. We're going to talk about the church. Can you be a Christian and not be part of a church? How do we make sense of the sins of our church institutions? Thanks for joining us. So Carrie and Ryan, this being our first episode back after a little bit of a break, I'm so excited to have the chance to see you both again and to be talking and talking about faith and church and all these things that we're constantly immersed in. Uh, But I, I know that you know, for many people in the church and many people of the Christian faith, you know, it, it hasn't been like this lifelong, uh, is indoctrination the right word? No, not indoctrination. <laughs> a lifelong immersion. <laughs> yeah. You know, many people have different experiences when it comes to first exposures of the church um, and first exposures of faith. And that's kind of, we want to get into a conversation um, today with our guest uh, about the church. And so I was curious for for both of you, like, what is your first memory of of church and church experience? It's not overly spiritual by any means, but um, I grew up at North Leamington, United Midnight Church in Leamington. and my first memory is being in that carpeted sanctuary and uh, crawling under the pews to my different relatives that I wanted to visit during the service. Um, so for me, that's just a warm memories of a place I was comfortable from a really young age and from intergenerational connections that were actually um, blood relatives that kind of formed this church. Mm. Yeah, what about you, Ryan? I'm not sure I can identify a first memory because it's just the air that I've breathed since I since I've, I don't remember a time without the church really. So I don't have a, I, I, I do remember walking into the front steps of the church in Coaldale here and always seeing this big sign above the coat rack saying, guard your steps when you enter the house of the Lord to draw near and to listen. And that was a very imposing welcome to the church. Guard your steps. I didn't do that very well. I, my One of my memories was not guarding my steps well at all. I would run around like a lunatic and play hockey in the gym and chase girls and who knows what else in there but um it was just it was just the the furniture of my childhood um i don't remember a time without it Mm. yeah you know one of my earliest memories is always doing the christmas pageants like i just have these memories of going to practices uh and and participating in that and like just it being yeah that that feeling of also christmas time and i don't know why that's one of the earliest memories that i have but very kind of warm and and that kind of thing uh, but okay, the three of us kind of have been part of the church for a very long time, uh, and it can't all have been great. <laughs> At least in my experience, it hasn't. Like, have you ever just gotten tired of being part of a church and just wanted to run away or go do something different or just forget it all? Or have you just always been in love with church? You mean like this week? Have I gotten tired of it? <laughs> no. No, uh, yeah, of course. There's times where I've I've gotten tired of the church. You know, you, usually it's when the church is being very small and petty about something, or where there's conflict of some kind, or uh, where it's just not terribly inspiring. Where it just feels like we're going through the motions, and um, there's nothing. There's no real enlivening spirit underneath it. It just feels like we're doing something for the sake of doing it. Um, so those those are the times when yeah, it does have a wearying quality to it, but um, that's true of every 
you know, certainly every meaningful relationship in my life, there's times where it's hard work and where it's, where it's um, less obviously exciting than other times, but um, it doesn't change the, the fact that I still think it's the kind of the substratus of, of my spiritual life. <laughs> well, I can relate to so much that Ryan said. Yeah, how, I mean, how could it not get tiring? I would love to meet someone who said I was over, I was always super energized to be at church. There was never anything about it to change or to be different. I mean, when things about church that are difficult, when we argue about petty things like tablecloth covers or we get bent out of shape about that stuff, and then, you know, the ever midnight thing where everything requires a committee. Um, but, you know, it speaks to the positivity, too, of that anything worthwhile takes hard work, like Ryan pointed out. Um, and sometimes, you know, when, you get, when it gets draining that people care so much about little things and want to have conflict over them, it's also a good reminder how much church means to people, and that's why they are getting so engaged in these, these little details of church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we want to get into a conversation here uh, with our guest. Um, and, and one of the things that I'm I'm looking forward to asking, because this is something I, I've heard so many times and like I've heard this week, people mm. of faith, right, Christians saying, I think I'm done with the church. Like, I, I don't think I need it anymore. And I don't think that uh, <laughs> I don't think I need the church to be a Christian. Like, do you guys encounter those thoughts in your communities? Like, is that a common thing these days? Oh, I think it is very common for young Mennonite people, and, and perhaps that's seen across the denominations, but I think young Mennonites love their culture of Mennoniteism, right? Of hospitality, and perhaps there's some food that goes along with that, or some church culture that goes along with that, and the community that they love. When it comes to spiritual believing in God, having personal relationship, they're they're pretty done with it. Yeah, I just had lunch this week with a guy who's roughly my age, a little younger. He's had some bad experiences with the church, and he, I'm not even sure he would call himself a Christian anymore, but he's certainly done with the church. And he, um, he said that uh, he has a hard time separating Jesus from the church. And I think we're going to talk about this a bit later, too, but... Um, I tried to make the case that those were not synonymous terms, that, that, that Jesus was not the same as the church, and that you could you could love Jesus and still hold it a bit of critical distance with, from the church, um, at least so, to be self-critical of the church. But um, I, I told him, I said, if, 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 I, if, if I believe Jesus and the church were the same thing, I, I probably wouldn't be a Christian anymore, <laughs> because the church obviously has, has lots to, to, there's lots of, you know, dark spots in our history, but... Yeah, he was a classic case of somebody who had been burned by the church and uh, was still pretty interested in Jesus, but the church, he had no use for it all anymore. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, I, that's one of the things that I keep hearing over and over again. And, and so is it possible for us to be, you know, followers of Jesus without seeing ourselves in, in any place kind of um, a part of a, a body that is more than just me and my relationship with God? Um, so let's, let's bring in Robert here. Uh, so we, we are so excited to have Robert J. Suderman joining us for this episode. Um, for those who have been in Mennonite Church Canada circles for a long time, uh, that name is not unfamiliar. Although Robert does, uh, most commonly go by Jack. So we're going to call him Jack for, for the rest of the episode. Um, he's written a, a bunch of books, some of them being Reimagining the Church. 
um, or encounters on the way, and most recently, a book about the church called The Baby and the Bathwater. Uh, Jack is uh, a longtime servant of the church, I think over five decades, and has been involved in teaching, in administration, international assignments, um, and have visited more than 30 countries around the world. So he definitely writes uh, for the church in a broader sense, right? Not only as, as a Mennonite or as a Canadian, but with exposure and connections all over the world. Um, so we are so excited to have Jack with us. Thank you, Jack, for, for your time. Uh, and um, yeah, is there anything else we missed out? I, I know I didn't list off all the books you've written, but uh, those can all be found online, I'm sure. Thank you very much, uh, Moses, uh, and it's great to be with you, and I've, it's a privilege to, to have this invitation to conversation. The topics you're talking about are dear to my heart, and uh, I look forward to, to getting into them. Mm -hmm. now, now, currently, you are part of a church in New Hamburg, is that correct? Uh, we live in New Hamburg, but actually our, our worshiping community is First Mennonite Church in Kitchener. So that's in Kitchener. Okay. Yeah, that's where we're attending. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And is that a return to your roots, or is that a whole new experience after retirement? Uh, well, a little of uh, a little of both. Uh, we are actually Manitobans, but we did live in Kitchener back in the '80s for a couple of years, four years, where I did my doctoral work. And at that time, we did attend First Mennonite Church in Kitchener. And so when we came back now after retirement, um, it was kind of natural to go back to that community. We had many friends there and it was good to go back and connect with them again. Yeah. Well, well, in terms of your uh, in terms of your connections to to the church, you know, the, it, the, the stories of Carrie and Ryan and I just kind of growing up in the church is is that a similar story to you or take us through kind of your first experiences of wanting to follow after Jesus and spending your life doing so uh, yes I grew up in southern Manitoba uh, and grew up in a Christian home my parents were were uh, church people well everybody was <laughs> in those communities everybody was so uh, some more so than others, but certainly the church was the center, not only the kind of the religious center, but also the spiritual, or I'm sorry, the social uh, center of the lives of folks. But there were moments when, when, uh, when I basically, uh, well, I never quite left the church, but I, I certainly was, I questioned, uh, the validity and the relevance of it uh, very deeply. And uh, thanks to some very good friends who kept uh, kept at me, um, I was able to get through that, I think, and, and come out better at the other side. Now, mm. Jack, like I can think of, you know, the things in our generation that are pushing some of us away from the church. I'm just curious, like when you talk about maybe some of the things that you were questioning uh, in your days, um, can you take us through any of those? Or like, what were the things going on in the church at that time that were making you question the validity? Well, I was a, I was a young, a young teenager, uh, 
during the 60s, and you must surely have heard of the 1960s. It was a wild time uh, uh, in many, many ways. Uh, but one of the biggest features of the 60s was the war in Vietnam and the ongoing uh, killing and killing and more killing uh, that was happening there uh, by our neighbor to the south. And, um, and the struggle that that created within the church where, where some people were very much um, aligned with that struggle um, and in favor of, of military action and so on and other people were not. And so the Mennonites were, were uh, also part of that conversation, part of that tension. And um, it was one of, the, one of the things that impacted me most, uh, that I remember most uh, in terms of discouragement with the church because of some of the things that we saw and heard and also encouragement. Uh, I, remember, I remember the very famous uh, conversation and finally the summit in Minneapolis where the question of whether the church should uh, disobey the laws, the tax laws in terms of holding back taxes, taxes for military purposes uh, from its employees. And uh, it was not allowed, it was not legal to do that but there was a lot of conversation, a lot of dialogue, and then the final summit in Minneapolis where everybody kind of got together, including myself. I was very young at the time. Uh, and it was actually decided that the church would officially be civilly disobedient. And it would inform the authorities that this is the road we're on and that we were ready to take um, the punishment, whatever that might be, but that we would uh, in, indeed allow our people to withhold their taxes or withhold their taxes from for military purposes if they so cho chose and we would not deduct at that source at the source of of the paychecks and so that was a massive conversation uh decade long approximately very very tense uh very hot and it ended up with a particular solution, which many of these conversations don't, but this one did. And um, for me, that was, was one of the really inspiring moments uh, where I saw the church stand up for its belief in spite of the potential of, of um, legal action against it and even jail, jail time. So uh, that was a very inspiring moment for me as a, as a young person. Jack, I, I know that I have 20-year-old kids whose experience of the institutional church was very different than my own. Um, they didn't grow up in a youth group. They didn't grow up in, uh, with, with strong Christian schools or anything like that. Um, we hear a lot about the, the sins of the institutions of the church, but what, uh, looking back, would you say that, uh, that you needed those institutional structures to, uh, to, to make it to where you, to where you ended up faith-wise, vocation-wise, in, in every, every other way? Yeah, I think the, the question of the church as an institution uh, has been front and center for me for many decades. Um, the way I deal with it is that I invent my own work. I invent my own meaning of institution. <laughs> I define it. I first of all define it for myself in ways that other people might not define it. Uh, 
And then I use that definition to talk about this question. Um, institution comes from the word institute, which means to do something, to institute something, to initiate something. And um, so basically the way I understand this now is that when we want to do something good, then somebody sooner or later says, well, you should do that again. It was good what you did. You fed, the, you fed that hungry person, but that hungry person has a brother or a sister and you should feed that, help to feed them too. So you should do that again. And then you do, and then they say, well, they also have an uncle. So you do that again and again and again. And so it, an institution is basically designed to do good things over and over again, to allow you to repeat what is worthwhile doing. Uh, so in that sense, I think uh, institutionalization is a positive thing. Uh, and, uh, and I suggest that Jesus himself was an institutionalizer because when he's, he helped the hungry, clothed the naked, visited the prisoners, um, he said, go and do likewise. It's important to do this, uh, so do it. Keep doing it. Or baptizing, you know, baptize in the name of the Father and Son and so on. It's a good thing, so keep doing it. Or drinking the wine and, and the eating the bread and remembering the, the purpose of the kingdom on earth or the reign of God here on earth as Jesus did. Uh, it's important to do that and to remember it over and over again. So, so he urged us to institutionalize what was, what was at the foundation of, of the way he understood the will of God for the world and the will of God for his people. And so in that sense, um, inst institutionalization is inevitable and even necessary. It, it's, we cannot do without it. And if you leave one type of institution, uh, inevitably you simply will go under another type. You will institute something else. If you don't like committee meetings, then you'll go under the tree and worship around the apple tree. And, you, and that will become an institutionalized uh, value for you. And that will become your institution. And so uh, institutionalization itself is inevitable. I, I have never, I don't think I have encountered anything that is not in some way institutionalized. And so, um, so I don't speak negatively about institutions. I speak positively about them. But on the other hand, I, you do admit immediately that, that like in my latest book, Baby and the Bathwater, that, uh, that there's a lot of bathwater that needs to be changed uh, all the time. There's never a moment when, when the bathwater is clean entirely. So, so these institutions can become uh, negative, they can become sinful, they become, even become evil. And we have lots of experience with that over the last 2000 years. Jack, could you expand um, on how do we go about changing the water? Or how does the church go about changing that water that you're speaking of? And, and I'll add to that. Uh, and, and how do we know which is like, which is the baby? 
<laughs> that we want to keep <laughs> and which is the bathwater that we want to get rid of. Because yes, different people, different generations, different cultures, the answers might be different too. So uh, how do you know, how, how do you define the baby? <laughs> um, when it comes to the to the church, I th this is what my little book is about. My last little book. It's an attempt to uh, take the biblical text very seriously and to answer that question exactly. What what is the what is the what is the what I what one could almost say the purest kind of vision for what it means to be the peoplehood of God. Uh, what exactly is the vision? And what I try to do in this little booklet is I try to define that, articulate that as carefully as I can. Not my vision, but what I find in the text itself. And it's absolutely astounding what you find. The vision is, is incredible. Uh, it's gigantic. It's epic. It is, uh, I mean, when you really, really dig in to see what it was that this peoplehood was designed for, it is nothing short of incredible. And uh, so that vision is the baby. That's what we need to go back to over and over and over again. Uh, because it's difficult to find. In fact, I haven't found uh, much or anything that is comparable to that vision. It is so integral. It is so holistic. It is so complete. It is so epic. Uh, it includes everything. It includes the environment. It includes sexuality. It includes money. It includes uh, power. It includes... Uh, birds and rivers and air it includes there is nothing outside of that vision uh, it is so big and so understanding that vision is kind of the first step i think or at least being exposed to that persistently is kind of the first step in understanding what is the baby uh, how do we understand what we don't want to throw up? And then, of course, then it's quite easy to find things <laughs> that don't live up to that vision uh, and keep on struggling with ways that, that those things can be made better or improved or uh, changed or transformed. And, and that, that includes everything. That includes everything from from preaching styles to how we create our budgets to kind of buildings we build and kind of uh, programs we run and the kind of programs we avoid, the words we speak and the words we, the silence we maintain. I mean, all of that is included in what potentially is the bathwater. And so it's a very, very broad thing, but, but you can only talk about bathwater if the vision is, if there's a clarity of, of the vision that is behind it. You're talking about this vision that is so big and so epic, uh, but is there a, you know, 
uh, an elevator pitch of this vision uh, that, you know, it can be summed up in a couple sentences uh, or uh, a minute, you know, that if someone's like, hey, Jack, what what is the vision of the church? Like, what would you say, you know, without handing over your book to them? Yeah, I think the Bible, that's what I love about the Bible. Sometimes it drops these gems on you in, in 10 seconds. And and it's enough to uh, to spend your lifetime on. Uh, one of those gems, I think, is found in Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter one, verse fifteen, and it's repeated in the other Gospels. But Mark is the considered the oldest one, and uh, the very first words of Jesus, the very first public words of Jesus, uh, in in the Gospel of Mark, is one of these gems. Uh, where he says, um, I have come to tell you good news. And the good news is that the reign of God is here. I mean, there is a gem for you. <laughs> There's a gem. And that, of course, then forces you to us to ask, well, what does it mean when the reign of God approaches? Or what does it mean when God's authority is present? It doesn't answer that question, but it defines, it focuses the issue from the words, from the lips of Jesus himself. It says, I've got good news. And the good news is that the reign of God is here. Those are his first words. And then the very first action of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, in the very next verse, uh, in response to the good news is that he begins to create, begin to form a, a community, a community that will live out the presence of the kingdom or the presence of God's reign on earth. It's the very first thing he does. Uh, there is no gap between saying that God's reign is among us and that we need to create a community to, to live it. There is no gap there. The two cannot be separated. You cannot have one without the other in the, in the eyes of Jesus. If you're going to celebrate the reign of God, you must have a community that will begin to live it. Um, so that's one gem. The other gem I think is, I, I go back to often, uh, is Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 10, where, where it says that uh, God has a plan for the world. And that plan is to reconcile all things, all things, it repeats it three times, reconcile all things, all things, all things uh, to himself. And so in the Greek language, that, that all is neuter. It's not masculine, it's not feminine, it's neuter. And in the Greek language, that means that is inclusive of everything. And the fact that it repeats it three times, in case we didn't catch it the first time, is epic. Like there is nothing bigger than the idea that everything, everything, everything in heaven and on earth should be reconciled to itself. There's nothing bigger than that. And so there you have another gem in, in five seconds that is what God wants. That is the hope. That is the, the, the that, that, that there is. 
that the world will become the way it was meant to be, it, the way it was designed to be. And then again, the very next thing in Ephesians is that there has to be a people that will engage this, this task, this mission that God has set for, for himself or herself, first of all, and then also the mission that God has set for, for the people of God. Those are, again, entirely inseparable. And so the idea of a plan of, of total and complete reconciliation, which includes air, water, birds, environment, climate, um, sex, gender, everything, uh, and the idea of the reign of God being present among us, both of which must be must have flesh and blood to carry it out they must have people that begin to live this way and to demonstrate it and show it and so can you have can you can you be a jesus follower with, with, while at the same time rejecting the idea of peoplehood uh, i don't think so it, it's not an option for jesus uh, if you want to follow jesus this question of, of, of having some form of peoplehood committed to, to being a kingdom community or a reign of God community or co committed to reconciling all things is not an optional part. That is absolutely central and you cannot separate those. Jack, I have a, a, a question about the, the image that you chose for your book, uh, The Baby in the Bathwater. It's a very arresting uh, metaphor and it's a it's a it's a visual in the front of the book that's it grabs the attention. Um, I wonder, like mo many people would look at the history of Christianity and and, and see the, the entire history of denominations and schism as as the fruit of this this tendency we have as human beings to try and separate those two: the baby and the bathwater. Each group decides differently about what's the baby and what's the bathwater. And then on and on it goes. And even within our Mennonite church, we, we split endlessly because we disagree about what's central, what's not. Um, so I, I wonder how you would think about that metaphor in conversation with a metaphor like um, the one Jesus uses with the, the wheat and the weeds growing up together uh, at the same time. And, and then being sorted out at the end kind of thing. Like how do those two metaphors have something to say to each other? Um, how, how would you think about... Um, those two in conversation, I wonder. Yeah, I, I think that the key in understanding the bathwater is that the, the bathwater is, is never people. Mm. That's good. People are always part of the baby. <laughs> the bathwater is never people. So, but it is things that, that, um, that impact people, that shape people, that uh, disorient people or that orient them. Um, and that can be almost anything, right? So, but the goal is, the goal is never anti-people. The goal is always pro, pro-person, pro-people. And so whatever you do in terms of the bathwater, it always needs to be something that is for the people uh, and not uh, against them. So, you know, in that sense, I think the two images do connect with each other. Um, the wheat and the weeds is also, you know, when the disciples want to 
yank out the weeds. Uh, Jesus says, no, don't do that because you may also harm the wheat when you do that. So don't, don't do that. The two have got to live together and learn how to do that. And it's not up to you to do that because people can get injured, people can get hurt. We want to take a moment to pause to give away a copy of Jack's new book called The Baby and the Bathwater, thanks to Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center. Like a lot of people, you know, I love books, and when I see a good one, I usually want to buy it, even if I can't read it right away. Now, luckily, I have the church study where I could keep a lot of those books because there's not a lot of room at home, but even my shelves at church are already overflowing. Wouldn't it be great if there was this one place that had thousands of Anabaptist resources that I could access for free? Well, there is that kind of place. It's called Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center. They have a physical store located at the campus of Canadian Mennonite University in Winnipeg, but you can also access them online. Even today, I just checked them out and you could see over 13,000 online resources right there at a click of the button. Their mission is to resource the church, and they do a really great job at that. Now, when it comes to the book by Jack, The Baby in the Bathwater, you can find it at Common Word. You can download a PDF copy for free. And if you are a pastor of a MC Canada or MC USA congregation, you can actually get a free hard copy mailed to you. All of that you could do through Common Word. But for one of our listeners, we also want to give away a copy of this book, thanks to Common Word. All you need to do is like our Facebook page. If you've liked our Facebook page, you will automatically be entered to win a copy of Jack's book. Let's get back to the interview. So Jack, if you were going to go back to your yourself before you were teaching at Westgate, and imagine young people today, right, who have their own struggles and disappointments with the church or a feeling like it's it's uh, um, just, you know, useless tradition or, you know, they've seen some of the harms that church has done or they haven't felt like they belong. Uh, and so they've come to that place of, yeah, just say like, you know, I, I have Jesus. I, I don't need the church. I don't need the, the peoplehood. Um, and they're content kind of walking in that way. Um, you know, what, what might you have to say, uh, and, and, or and more than just, you know, like you can't separate the two, like, is there a different imagination of what peoplehood could be? Like it is maybe the way that we are doing things now, not the way that things should be done for the next 50 years. Absolutely. Uh, we should be as creative as we possibly can, um, but if you reject peoplehood, if you reject peoplehood in favor of Jesus, uh, you have rejected Jesus, because uh, it would be it would be impossible for him to imagine his project, his his project of of liberating uh, the world without uh, flesh and blood communities to be demonstration plots, if you wish, of what is what is needed. So um, yeah, be as creative as you want, be as creative as you can. 
and that's why I have this thing in my in my book. I have a whole chapter on on um, the fact that the New Testament writers go to great lengths, a very creative lengths, to paint pictures of what it possibly could be like to be the church. And like I say, Paul Manier has done the homework. Um, and he identifies 96 different pictures that are creatively painted by New Testament writers just to make sure that we kept capture the breadth and the width and the depth and the height of this thing so that we're not limiting ourselves too much or we don't limit the, our vision of the church because when we think we've got it, there's always another one or two or 10 or 20 that we haven't yet that we haven't yet touched. And so, um, so again, I think the answer to young people today uh, is uh, the same as it was in my day. And that is to be exposed to this grandeur, the grandeur of this epic vision, be exposed to it and, and, and make sure that they don't think that what they see and have experienced is the is the end all and be all of what it means to be God's people, uh, because it isn't. I think another way of looking at that in terms of, of, of the critique that people have of the church, and rightfully so, and I mentioned that, the church has, people have all the right in the world to critique. Uh, what the church has been and is. Um, but, but it's always, there's always a sense, uh, almost a Trump-like sense. I didn't want to bring him in, but anyway. Uh, you know, the sense of make America great again, which assumes that there was a time in history when America was what it was designed to be. That's always the assumption. Again, make it great again. And so the assumption is that we can and should go back to that spot to be like we once were. Uh, that's the kind of, exactly the kind of logic that, that many people use for the church and this, including young people. They have, a, they have a vague sense that once upon a time, the church was exactly what it was designed to be. Mm. And so why isn't it like that now? And why can't we be like that again? And I think it's a false starting point because the church has never been in its fullness what it was designed to be. Not in the Bible, not in the early church, not in the Anabaptist um, Reformation, never. There hasn't been a moment in history when the church has been all it was designed to be. And so there is no moment to go back to uh, in terms of what it means to be the church. So, uh, so it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like, like the image of a wagon, you know, the wagon goes along and people keep falling off the wagon. And you ask, well, why do so many people keep falling off the wagon because you know, that's not very inspiring. Uh, but I, I kind of like to turn that around. And I, in my sense, it is the, the, the issue isn't so much uh, 
that people keep falling off the wagon. What is inspiring is that throughout the history, throughout the decades and the centuries, how many people all over the world are trying to get onto the wagon. That's what inspires us as a people of God, as a church, as, as disciples of Christ. Just watching people in every nation and tribe trying to get onto this, the grandeur of this vision, onto this wagon and do what they can, do their part, is extremely inspiring. Uh, and of course, there, there are many, many, many failures in that attempt and so on. But, uh, but when we invert that thing and not assume that there is, that there was a wagon and we fell off, but rather assume there is a wagon and we're trying to get on, it, it becomes an image that instead of it discouraging us, it actually is inspiring for us. And when you look at the church or the people of God efforts through those eyes, it's simply amazing what uh, has happened all over the world in every culture, every language. It's, it's amazing. And I think, young people, I think young people can connect to that. I think they, they can be excited about that. You know, you've been to so many places around the world. Um, can you share a glimpse or two of what you have seen in the global church that would speak to us here in Canada? And, and um, you know, all three of us, Ryan and Carrie and I, are in, in somewhat similar kinds of churches. Um, and I personally don't always have the kind of imagination <laughs> that, that maybe our young people need or other people not connected to church need. But, it, you know, if you were to share some of what you've seen, uh, what would it be? Well, there's, there's many, many stories I could share uh, from around the world. And, and, but, I, but realistically speaking, I don't think I've seen uh, any inspirational stories or experienced any inspirational stories around the world that I haven't also seen in Canada. Mm. So it's not as if Canada... By sharing a story from Vietnam or from Colombia doesn't mean that it's not present in Canada. It is, you know, we've seen it here as well. So, um, you know, stories up, stories abound <laughs> in terms of, of what you what you see, uh, the struggle that people have to be God's people, to be good, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be forgiving. Uh, to be uh, to struggle for justice, to share, to be generous, uh, to uh, you know all those things that are foundational for for the approach of God's reign, God's kingdom. Uh, you see those everywhere in every country, and you see them in Canada. Uh, just the other day, they uh, interviewed on television uh, the parents of one of the. Humboldt uh, hockey players that was killed by that horrendous tragedy when the truck driver missed the stop sign and, and hit the bus on which the Humboldt Broncos were, were traveling. And what was it, 18 people or something, 18 young men were killed. And um, this truck driver is a young recent immigrant, a refugee to Canada. 
uh, I believe he's a Syrian. And, um, and so there is a loud cry of, on behalf of by some, you know, that, that he should be tried, that he should be convicted, that he should be imprisoned, that, he sh that there should be revenge of some kind, that he had to pay the price of what he had done, even though it was an accident, it wasn't intentional, obviously. Um, but then they interviewed this couple from Saskatchewan who said, we can't live with ourselves. Um, we, we can't live with an unforgiving spirit. We have to and we want to forgive this young man. And we don't think it's fair for him to go through life carrying the burden of not having been forgiven. Hmm. A very simple story, very profound story. It's a story that, that, that demonstrates what happens when the reign of God is among us. And when we take that seriously and when we function as a people of God, uh, then we lift the burdens off of other people's shoulders. Uh, we help them on their way, even when they are sinners. <laughs> and, uh, and by doing so, we lift the burden off our own shoulders. And so it's, a, it's just one example. Uh, those examples abound, uh, let's say in a place like Columbia, where we, where we lived and worked for five years, um, right in the midst of all the horrendous violence and, and killing and kidnapping and disappearance and massacres that the people suffered for decades and are still suffering to some degree. I'm not sure how much more time we have, Moses, but I would be curious, Jack, to hear your response to one of the questions that we had, that we have on our on our guide here, and that is, um, what do you see as one of the greatest obstacles facing the Mennonite Church today, and how might we work through that together? Well, by now it shouldn't be a surprise to you what I will answer. <laughs> uh, I think one of the biggest obstacles is that we have forgotten the vision. That we have not, we're we're not persistently exposed to it. We're not, uh, we're not, our, our young people aren't persistently exposed to it. Our older people aren't. Uh, and when 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 those ninety six images are reduced to two or three, or maybe five, and then somebody else chooses a different five, and then those two seem to be in conflict, and then we fight with each other. You know, um, it's all part of the, I think it's all part of the fact that we have, that, that the vision itself, the grandeur of the vision has, has evaporated uh, within our own circle. And uh, even within our own churches and maybe even within some pastors, uh, the grandeur of that vision has evaporated and our people are not exposed to it on our regular basis. We explain ethics, we explain um, doctrines of all kinds without adequate attention to the grandeur of this vision. And so again, salvation becomes, seems empty, ethics seem shallow um, because it's not connected to the epic nature of what is what is before us. 
Well, if you want me to use some bigger words, I can do that. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, is that ecclesiology cannot be separated from Christology. Ecclesiology cannot be separated from missiology. And missiology cannot be separated from Christology. Any, any separation among those is artificial. Uh, when you look at the vision that is that is outlined before us in in the text that we call sacred, so any effort, and and we have two thousand years of separating those things now. So you can now have an ethics department in a Christian college or a Christian university that pays no attention to ecclesiology. You can have a course about Jesus that pays no attention to ecclesiology. You can have a course about the church that pays no attention to mission. So we, we've developed these separate, these separate categories, and we are actually teaching them and modeling them to our young people. Uh, and so no wonder that they don't know how to put them together. So, so the idea is that these things are, are harnessed to each other. They're, they're, they're inseparable from each other and they must be um, taught and lived and together. And, and uh, any, any effort to try to separate uh, Jesus, for example, from peoplehood or Jesus from the, from the mission of the reign of God is by definition a dead end because it's... it's uh, it's, it's not possible when you look at the vision that's set before us. All right, Jack. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And we hope you have a great uh, trip back to home after being in Winnipeg for a little bit. Thank you very much for inviting me. And thanks for having me. And what you didn't mention, Moses, is that you also have a significant part in this little booklet. I saw oh. that in the, in the intro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. Mark, and you should you should be... Thanked for that, and, and well, you, you've thanked me enough. We, yeah, we'll cut, we'll cut that out of the podcast. We don't... <laughs> or will we? Thank you so much, Jack. Nice to see you. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Well, what a pleasure it was to talk to Jack to have him with us, even just on Zoom. Um, yeah, you know, there's a lot that that he was talking about the church and kind of those tensions that I feel like I have felt for my whole life. And now working for the church, it's almost like I'm obligated to love the church. But I, I would say, too, as a younger person, I, I wasn't always quite sure. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you guys, were you convinced with, with what he said that you cannot separate uh, following after Jesus and the peoplehood, that part, right? The, the faith and the community aspect. Because I, I feel like even when people talk to me, my gut instinct is always to accommodate, right? Like I want people to know Jesus. I want people to follow and, and be part of the church. But if they're not there yet, then I tend to just say, well, wherever you're at is okay. And if people hate the church, but they want to follow Jesus, it's hard for me to say like, well, you can't really do those things. <laughs> so I was curious, like, what what do you think? Did it feel convincing to you? I yeah. I struggled that one because I also want to recognize Jack has years of experience, right? That I don't bring to this, but my perspective would be, I think you can separate them. 
but you won't be able to do it well. There'll be huge pieces of discipleship that you are going to be missing. But yes, you can still believe in Jesus. You can still look at Jesus as a model of how to live a good life. You can still pray to God. You can still have a personal relationship, but you won't be, it won't be full. Mm. It won't be 3D. It'll be more 2D, um, I guess is the way I would look at it. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's um, theologically, I think he makes a very strong case. You can't separate ecclesiology from missiology and Christology, and I would even add eschatology to that. But, um, you know, so I, I, have, I don't require any convincing theologically, but practically speaking, yeah, I, I do see people at least sort of making it work, where, where, they, where they, they, they retain some affection for, for the person of Jesus and not much at all for the church. Um, like Carrie said, I would, I, I would argue that's probably a pretty thin version of, um, or at least it's not what it could be. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, a source of some sadness for me, people that, because I think that a lot of what we miss out then is not just this idea that I, I believe in Jesus, therefore I should believe in the church, but for better or worse, God has bound us to each other. And, and, and there's some things that we miss just simply by not being open to encountering Jesus in our neighbor. Um, you know, I don't think Jesus can, is, is only encountered in, 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 in sacred words or, or songs or, or scriptures or whatever, but, but Jesus often comes to us in, in, in a form that we wouldn't expect, in people that we wouldn't choose. Um, and church is one of very few places where we still encounter people that we wouldn't choose to associate with or listen to, or, um, you know, that, 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 that are, we, we are brought together by something that's beyond, you know, beyond ourselves. Um, and so I, I, I think that there's a huge value in, in not to reduce it to instrumental terms. I mean, I'm not saying that, but I, I think that when, when Jack says, if you reject people, you reject Jesus, or you reject peoplehood, you reject Jesus, I, th- I think he's onto something there. Um, something pretty important. Yeah, I, I, I find it hard. Like, maybe this is just recently that I'm thinking, you know, the church is not just about what we get to get out of it, right? It's not like, well, I'm I'm no longer going to be part of the church because I feel like I don't need the church. Um, but oppositely, I think it is the church that needs us. Like, if, if church is nothing more than peoplehood, right, then that it's not about just, you know, we, us getting something out of church, but um, the church actually needs us to be the church. Otherwise, the church isn't the church. And, and that's, I feel like that's what I long for people to know too, is that when I see people kind of giving up on the church, um, and, and sometimes for really good reasons, but my thought is not, no, you need to stay here because you need the church. Like, you need us. It's like, no, we actually need you. You know, if when you're not a part of us, then then a piece is missing and it feels incomplete to me. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I wish for those folks who are, um, you know, discontented with the church, who are giving up on the church. I wish for them also to be able to um, expand their vision of what the church is and to realize that that, you know, the church, God needs each of us to be involved in this. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. And I think that also it's connected to what he said about the, the grandeur of the vision. I think that um, if, if churches are settling for smaller versions of the story, 
um, it's hard to blame people for, for not, for not wanting to sign up for 15 committee meetings a month for, uh, for, a you know, an agenda they can easily find elsewhere or, or, um, you know, something that, that doesn't capture, that isn't capable of capturing a life in the way that we often, I mean, it's a tall task. <laughs> he put a lot on pastors there to, to, yeah. to, to say, you know, you, you're the ones that have to keep this vision before us. But um, there's a sense in which he, he's, I think he's right. It's not, I don't think it's just pastor's job, but, but I think it's, we, we do have an important role to play in, in, first of all, understanding that vision. Second of all, um, allowing ourselves to be captured by it. And then, and then third, communicating that to, to, to people who I, I don't think it, people are in any, nest, in any less need of it than they ever have been. Uh, maybe maybe we, we've just gotten, we've, we've settled for less for so long that we, we've just gotten content with that. Yeah, and I think it, it's worth saying too that some people have been deeply harmed by the church, not just annoyed, not just bothered, not just, you know, in it, but, but really harmed. And so I think it is important that those people do step away mm. from the church and that we allow them and encourage them. And at the same time, we're talking about church in like church, all encompassing big umbrella terms. But you know, if one church has harmed you, if there's a time in your life when you can come back to a different church, I think that's the hardest thing for pastors sometimes, especially a pastor of young people, when I have to encourage or help a young person be like, okay, but what church might work for you? And of course it's the whole balance of you're not going to get a perfectly tailored thing, you know, not, it's not custom fit, but there are a lot of different denominations that express church and do church a lot of different ways. And there might be one that fits you better and you might just need a fresh start if you've been harmed. And so how can we, yeah, aid that and help that and recognize the difference between just wanting a custom thing that fits really well in church and being really harmed and needing to find something different. I, I was struck by, by him, him saying that there's, uh, or reminding us at least, that there's no, there's no perfect moment to look back to. That, that, like the, the church has never been um, all that it can be or should be or has been called to be. And I think this is, you know, it's an important admission for, like the Mennonites were born out of this instinct that we can go back to the early church yeah. and, and, and we can... We can cut away all the clutter and just follow Jesus the way they did it back then. And so here to have a prominent Mennonite theologian and churchman of, you know, decades of experience say, no, that's not, they're, 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 the ideal has never existed. We're still, we're still, um, that still exists in the, in the future. Um, that's an important, I think it's a, it's a posture of humility and it's a, it's a, it's an important recognition of his, the historical failures of the church, um, and I think it locates us in in a in a good place for maybe maybe heading off some of those temptations to always wanting to be digging around in the past for some perfect iteration of the church because it hasn't really existed. There's been better and worse, I think, but but never never perfect, and that's that's I think that's a good posture to actually start from. That's interesting, though, because we're, we're always reaching back to the Bible, though, right? So is that like the one instance in which it is appropriate to get the vision, but then don't take anything else, like move forward? It's tough. But of course, even that's a highly contested space, right? Like we're, we're reaching back to this sacred story that we all share or claim to share. But even there, we don't agree about what it says or what it means. or <laughs> We sort of agree on the basics, maybe. But um, e even when we go back that far, 
we're, we're still in dwelling in the wherever we go there we are we cannot we cannot escape ourselves <laughs> hmm. all right well to wrap things up what is the one thing you're doing now that is capturing the grander vision of what god's doing in the world <laughs> Oh Moses, that's I was, a tough I one. I was kind of I, <laughs> I was a little bit not sarcastic, but I was like uh, trying to think of the hardest question I could ask. Well, I, I'm going to go first so that I, so that I don't have to sound lame. Um, but I, I I actually believe that one of the things that that it's not a program, it's not some kind of church agenda that we're doing, but something I've been talking a lot about in sermons lately um, is simply forgiveness. Um, for forgiving each other, um, and and the and the importance of mercy, um, that I think, especially in this cultural moment where everyone seems so angry all the time, um, I don't know. I I I'm struck often by Jesus' words that those of you who don't forgive won't be forgiven, and and so forgiveness seems like a pretty radical act these days for me, and it points to that to that vision where he talked about reconciling all things. Um, part of what's going to be required to reconcile all things is that there's going to be a lot that's going to have to be healed and forgiven um, in our lives and in our world. So mm-hmm. we've been confessing our sins and receiving absolution quite a bit, and I think it's important. Where else can we do that in our culture now? Mm. Yeah, That is very profound. Wow, yeah. Why do you <laughs> I, go I first? Really like it I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that and carry it with me this week. Mm. Um, totally different direction. Um, the grandeur, yeah, the grandeur, I mean, of imagination, of God's imagination, my youth group, as they always do, is, um, not as they always do, as they typically do, writes their own Christmas pageant play, and this year it is a magic school bus theme, and just the ideas and the creativity that's, like, flowing out of that is so energizing, so exciting and so fun that I just am kind of like, you know, if God is in some kind of human form somewhere, they're probably smiling at us Mm. and laughing and making fun of us. But for me, like young people taking initiative, doing creative things, finding a creative way to express the Christmas story is, um, yeah, I think fits that for me. That's cool. Please tell me that you are Miss Frizzle. No, I'm not usually in the play. They just kind of take it and run for it. <laughs> I'm the director. I was just talking with someone the other day about the magic school bus, and I, I didn't even remember it. And they said, well, your kids watched it. I'm like, no, they didn't. I would remember that. And then I Googled it, and I'm like, oh, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah, really appreciate it. Oh, I, I asked that question, not truly expecting um, us to have answers, but that was great. I really I really like that. Um well, thanks. Careful what you ask for, Moses. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much. It's good to, to be together again in this way. Uh, and thank you all for listening to The Mentalcast. You can find us at thementalcast.com. Listen to episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you heard. And join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Mentalcast. We would love to hear from you if you have comments, questions, or suggestions you can contact us through our website or at themeadowcast at gmail.com. We would also like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away awesome resources and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts, Carrie Lane and Ryan Duick, for the great conversation. I'm Moses Falco. Until next time.